Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Professional cynic, but my heart's not in it. I'm paying the price of loving life at the limit. Caught up in a century's anxiety. It preys on him. He's getting thin. Try living the simple life. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now floating in Schema Celica. My name's Kevin Graham, and tonight I'm I'm joined by the main man himself, Paul John Dykes. How's it going, mate? It's been a long time since you and I were in this position, Kevin. Um, this is the original lineup. Simple as it is, that. It's the original lineup. Yes, yes. Uh, but now you're behind the wheel, mate. You're at the wheel. How does it I'm, feel? I, I, it feels good. It feels good. Um, 
It's a DeLorean now. It's no longer a bus. It's no longer a, a, it's, it's, it's a DeLorean. I like my DeLorean. It takes me back to 1985, back to the future. And, yeah, it's everything, everything's been, everything's great. Thanks to everybody that's listening in. Uh, week week on week, the numbers are unbelievable. We seem to have a bit of a cult following, so you hopefully, they're, hopefully they're going to enjoy it tonight because we're all getting we're all sick fed up eh? the Celtic stuff and all of that. Eh? So we're going to have a wee look at the eh, Euros because we're two weeks away for the start of eh, the big European Championship, which Scotland have actually qualified for. So there is a bit of national interest for those who are going to take national interest in this type of thing. And it, ta- it takes me back to Euro 96. And I remember the, the build up to Euro 96. So I think it's maybe one of those times, eh? It's like 1996, I'm 20. It's the height of Britpop. It seemed to be a brilliant summer, and you've got this football tournament on your end doorstep, which means which means that you're going to like see all the games. Scotland have qualified for it as well, and what actually happens, you get a group with England in it. So it, everything just sort of everything just sort of top, like sums up. This is going to be a great summer. Mm. You've also got the. Right, if we're all being honest, we're also maybe, especially guys my age, are on the Tony Blair train as well. We've seen Tony Blair in charge of Labour and I think they're going to become the next government, which they do. That, that's before that's before we realise what Tony Blair actually was. But if, if you're going back to that time, you wouldn't have heard many guys my age, many guys with my own political views who would have a bad a bad word to say about Tony Blair at that time. But, we're come, but you're, you're talking about me who was 20 at that time, I'd never seen anything but a Conservative government. So, maybe we were... I was 17. I was 17 in this month that you're referring to, Kev. So you're absolutely right. We'd been brought up with Thatcher and John Major, didn't we? Definitely, I And, I mean, you always remember, like... you remember your dad, my dad, after, like, general elections being utterly gutted absolute gutty that we were going to un- go under a Conservative government again. Yourself, your dad was a striking miner. Uh, you, you remember that. And I come from Bannockburn and you've got the pit villages round about Bannockburn as well. And you can you could see the decline of these areas as, mm. as, the, as, the, as the 80s went on. And I, I don't think a lot of the younger genera- younger generations actually realise how bad Thatcher was for Scotland as a country. And I mean, <laughs> I mean, we had Michael Forsyth as an MP for years in Stirling. We could never, we could never get the Conservatives out of Stirling until the, the 1997 general election. It's absurd. It's absurd when you look back, Kev. I mean, that period in my life, the the miners' strike. My dad, as you quite rightly say, he's a pitman, and you know, going through that, thinking back to the damage it did. Uh, not only at the time, but ever since, because my folks still live in the villages, the West Five villages of Fife, uh, as does one of my sisters, my brother. You go out there and they are still feeling the effects because there is no industry. Uh, whereas in the past, you know, generations of uh, men would go down the pit. That was all ended. It, it ruined communities. It ruined families. You know, men went elsewhere to work. My dad ended up having to go abroad. We all over the place. We went, you know, 
my dad had jobs in uh, Norway and France and Denmark, all these different places. Almost ended up in Abu Dhabi. So, um, you know, when you're looking at that, Kev, a lot of families didn't survive that. A lot of communities didn't survive it. Those who went back to work will forever be known as scabs. It tore communities apart. And that was the Thatcher. I mean, people think about the, the minor strike. It was 12 months without a wage. Mm-hmm. 12 months without coal because you used to get your coal free. You know, and four kids uh, all under the age of something like seven. You know, and trying to feed that. I always remember, so I know that this is a name that a lot of Celtic fans may not like, but the old Graham Souness quote, and it was when he was a Liverpool manager, Kev, they were playing Sunderland, whose left-back was Anton Rogan, in the FA Cup final. I'm not checking wiki, but I think it was 1992. Uh, And this was after uh, Souness had had his triple heart bypass operation. They're talking about the pressure. He says, this isn't pressure. Pressure is living in a high-rise with four screaming burns and no wages during the minor strike. He says, that's pressure. And he's right. It left a, a mark on me and many, many others like me, and I've been politicised ever since. Definitely. I, I, round about the area that I stayed, my, my cousin will actually say he can remember miners coming round the doors for food parcels, mm-hmm. asking, asking for food. I can't remember that, but he says it's one of his abiding memories of that time that there was miners coming to people's doors asking for food and yeah. it's horrible absolutely horrible that and it's interesting Sunas does say that because of his whole persona like yuppified persona that, that he had in the 80s if you have a look at that but then again he he grew well. We didn't grow up in Liverpool, but he he played his whole virtually his whole football career in Liverpool, and Liverpool was another community which was bastardised by Thatcher. And yeah. I reckon I reckon the Minders and the Scots have been exactly the same. When, oh, definitely. When you think about that, but we're actually in a glow of positivity going into mm-hmm. 1996. We are, mm-hmm. and we've got this tournament is down the road, and we're getting told that football comes home. That was the tagline of the tournament. Football. What was your What was your hair do? Let, well, let's, we're in the Delorean. We need to try and paint a picture here to the viewers. Right? It's nineteen ninety six. Did you say you were twenty? Twenty. Aye. You're twenty. I'm seventeen. So come on, describe the the fosh before we go any further. Seeing how that that's obviously quite an important part of proceedings these days. It, it was a basically just like a shaggy mullet type. A bit of a Tim Burgess going on, aye. I just used to just sit there and I just used to grow it. And when my hair gets to a certain length, goes to about there, then it just starts going curly. It just starts going up the way instead of going down the way. It's, I'd like to see quite, that. It's quite mad. I'm sure that there is pictures somewhere. Photographic um, evidence. I'm sure there is photographic evidence somewhere. Um, now, this tournament was like... The first tournament, which three points from a one came in as well, mm. which is unusual. It was the first tournament where the golden goal was a thing. I can't remember if it, if it carried on being a thing after this, but definitely Germany won by a golden goal in this. And so Scotland played England. I was having a look. I says, how did Scot how, how did Scotland actually qualify for this tournament? Now. Scotland qualified as being the fourth best runner-up in the whole of Europe. So they finished behind Russia uh, in the group. Our group contained Russia, Greece, Finland, the Faroes and San Marino. 
and we only lost one game in qualifying, and that was to Greece. So we finished second behind Russia with 23 points, and we were the fourth best runner-up in Europe, which meant we didn't need to play the Dutch in the, in the playoffs. But who did play the Dutch, do you know? I'm doing this through memory, Kev, because I'm obviously standing in for the main dude in the chair, which is Russell Boyce. <clears throat> so although I've done my research, uh, I didn't go as far back as that. The Republic of Ireland got beat off. Uh, Facebook user comes in with the answer there. The Republic of Ireland got beat in the playoff by the Netherlands for the 1996 uh, Euros. That's a shame. So, that's a shame because, you know, my first finals tournament was 88, Euro 88. And obviously I supported uh, the Republic of Ireland, Kev. But that was... Yeah. But I had so fond memories of Ireland playing in the, in the finals of tournaments, you know, World Cup 1990, of course, 1994. And uh, so I, it's a shame that they weren't a part of this. It was. It was a shame. But by that time, I think the Irish... Jack Charlton boost was beginning to wear off after after like 1994 in, in, in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I think the, the Irish squad was actually aging. Kieran comes in and actually reminds me it was Jack Charlton's last game in charge of the Republic of Ireland. Oh, that, playoff, that playoff game against the Netherlands. Now, Scotland's squad was announced, and I'm going to read some names here that, that, that interested me when I saw this squad, Paulie. Who do you think the third choice goalkeeper was? The first two goalkeepers were Andy Gorm and Jim Layton. That, that was the first two goalkeepers. Hmm, 1996. Let me think. Um, again, as I say, it's all through memory. None of this Wikipedia nonsense. So, you know, Sullivan came later, didn't he? Mm-hmm. He was more kind of 98. Oh, it wasn't. If I say he was playing for. Give me a clue. He was playing for Partick Fussell at the time. It wasn't Nelson. No. And. Nicky Walker. Nicky Walker. Wow. Nicky what Walker. A, what a hairdo. I mean, seeing how, you know, we, can, we can't get through a, a broadcast without some comment about hair. I don't know, what's the obsession with the hair Pokemon here? Oh, whatever. Uh, Nicky Walker had a great hairdo. The, the only thing I can remember about Nicky Walker, that he was married to one of the women on the back of the lager cans. Was, was his wife a lager lovely? His wife was a lager lovely, yes. <sighs> when, when he was when he was the uh, Rangers goalkeeper. <laughs> And what was, he, what, was, what was even worse about this, he was only 33 in 1996. Wow. I was like, what? He's 33. The other thing that jumped out to me as well was Derek White was in the squad. Brilliant. Derek White. I used to love Derek White. I loved Derek White. I really did. Aye. Derek White was in the squad. He was playing for Middlesbrough at the time. And yep. he was only 27. 27. Great tan. Always had a great tan, all year round tan. How can you get a tan like that at Barrafield? That, that, that has to be explained. How can that's you why he moved to Dubai. Yeah, you know, he was born in the, in the wrong country. That's why he now lives in Dubai. Aye, I mean, Ian, another other in the squad, Ian Jess was there. Now, if somebody would ask me who Ian Jess was playing for for that time, I'd have said Aberdeen, but he was actually. Can I have a, a guess? Oh, I was going to. I was going to say Strachan signed him, didn't he? 
Uh, he was at Coventry. And again, he was only 25 as well. I always pictured Ian Jess being in his 30s at this point. Eh? Yes, yeah, yeah. And so the Celtic interest in the squad, mm. right? The Celtic interest in the squad. Tom Boyd. Yes. Tosh McKinley. And I'm claiming John Collins because he hadn't signed for Monaco by this point, or he was just about to sign for Monaco. I'm, I'm having, I'm still having John Collins as a, as a Celtic player. I would still have Collins, yeah. I, he's still a Celtic player at that point. Future interest, Darren Jackson was in the squad as well. So was Craig Burley. Mm-hmm. And also for me, the Celtic player that should have been Kevin Gallagher was in the squad. Always saw Kevin, always had a soft spot for Kevin Gallagher yeah. anyway. Yeah, I agree with that. And actually, somebody else you mentioned there who I always wanted to sign for Celtic was Ian Jess. I just yes. I, I always liked Jess as a young player. Scored too, far too many goals against us, but he scored a lot of goals against Rangers. And I know that he had spent some time at Rangers as a kid. But you always have that affinity towards players. I always go on about Bernie Slavin, Paul McGrath, Pat Nevin. Always wanted Pat Nevin for Celtic. But yeah, Kevin Gallagher was another one. As was Billy McKinley. I've got to say. Billy McKinley was also in the squad as well. Two Blackburn, well, there's three Blackburn players in the squad. There was Billy McKinley, Kevin Gallagher, and Colin Hendry were the three Blackburn players in the squad. Um, so when you have a look at the Scotland squad, I'm not going to read it all. It was a very old squad, mm. <laughs> but that, that, that was what Craig Brown done. And when you look back on it, it's a very workmanlike squad. But if you go through qualification, you always get be- you only get beat once. Then it's like. You can't be that bad. So, we're, we're at Wembley. We're outside Wembley on the 15th of June, 1996. Mm-hmm. And it's a scorching day. I do remember this day. It was absolutely boiling on this day. And the place is buzzing. I remember um, Bannockburn at that time. There was flags everywhere. Everybody was really, really buzzing for the game. And I don't think that's something that's caught on yet when you have a look at the build-up to this. This tournament, because I just I think it's just a situation that we're in. Yeah. Uh, Kev, I, I mean, I, I can remember it vividly. I remember the house I was in watching that particular game. I can I could tell you what jeans I was wearing. Honestly, I can remember it what, vividly, mate. What jeans were you wearing? Come on, let us... Let us. I'm going to tell you, mate. I was wearing a pair of chippies. Chippy jeans? Chippy jeans. I had a 1990 Sean Ryder haircut because I'm never... I'm always out of step. So I was only six years out of step there, right? <laughs> I'm now 20 years maybe even 21 years at a step but that's fine I remember these things chippy jeans mate chippy jeans yes I would have, my, I would have had Levi's I was, I was under the Levi's by that point yeah. I was I was working and I could afford to buy myself a pair of Levi's <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't afford chippy jeans I wasn't, I wasn't a mock boy it's only mock boys that can afford chippy jeans in my area I was into the papers I was into the papers mate aye so, Scotland line up that day. After, we were at Villa Park before that and we had actually drew with the Dutch. We drew nothing each with a fantastic Dutch side. And England had drew with Switzerland. So this was basically, if you won this game, you'd virtually qualified for the, the knockout stages. It's still, it's still, everybody had qualified for the knockout stages. One of the first things I noticed when I was researching this 
and Euro 96 gets a lot of these ITV4 documentaries, eh, when you get all oh, Terry Venables and the lads all sitting around talking about it and they go, oh, this was great, and you get some comedians that you've never heard of talking about quite, they've just so happened just to watch that, watch the highlights before they've been, like, asked the questions, eh? But see the amount of empty seats that are at these games in Euro 96 is quite, it's quite frightening for someone mm-hmm. that was on our doorstep. Yeah. The Scotland game against the Dutch, there were 6,000 empty seats at Villa Park. And you're going, it's only four hours down the road. Mm-hmm. And and I, and I was trying to think back about why wasn't there a mass invasion? But I, I don't know why it wasn't. But as I say, there were 6,000 empty seats. But obviously, Wembley's absolutely full on this Saturday. This game gets a massive build-up. Not mm. like the, not not like not like me and you, Paul. We remember the Rouse Cup games. We remember just the home the tail end of the home internationals and the Rouse Cup games. So I used to play England every year, and eventually it didn't happen because some the English fans kept on coming up to Glasgow and running a mock, and it just sort of just sort of stopped. So this was a big hang. I think this was a first meeting probably since nineteen eighty nine. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. 89 or 90, I was going to say. I remember a friendly. No, you're you're probably right, actually, because they beat us 2-0. And it was a game that Steve Bull scored f- for England in. That was probably, so, that was that probably, was probably the, the last game. That yeah. was probably the last Louse Cup game. Mm-hmm. So this was a big hang. First time we'd played each other in six years. And also the first time we'd ever played each other competitively in a tournament. That's incredible. That Just to go back on that other game at Villa Park against the Netherlands... The the best player on the park, if you ever go back to watch the footage, was John Collins. He was immense. He was absolutely unplayable that day. Superb. One of the best performances I've ever seen from John Collins was in that game. He was brilliant. John Collins is one of the greatest midfielders Scotland's ever produced. End of. There's, there's, there's no argument with that. The fact that I've spoke to you before about this, the fact that we had him and McStay in the same midfield for six years was utterly phenomenal. And they were rubbish when we were David in the midfield. 
it was a shame that McStay, in terms of injuries, had caught up with him by this stage. You know, we were mo- we were moving into uh, a period where McStay's performances were getting fewer and fewer. Um, he should have enjoyed tournaments like this. Kev, I remember him in the '92 tournament and also in the World Cup '86 and '1990. So it's a shame that he didn't play more tournaments due to the injuries. But I agree with you. An incredible talent was was Collins. It's just unfortunate he's one of these guys that Celtic fans um, post playing career have come to dislike a lot there's a lot of Celtic fans who didn't like John Collins mm-hmm. but it's not not due to his performances because he was a smashing player Scottish FM ref comes in as his first time since the 27th of May 1989 where it finished 2-0 to the English and that's right that would have been Steve Bull that would have been Bull was probably second division striker at that it was, point it was bizarre we bizarre Wolves and his strike partner was Andy Much and it was Much and Bull and Bull always had a haircut very similar to the one you're sporting today he always shaved his head he does. But I, brilliant but they were the lower division footballers playing for England incredible mm. so Scotland team that both teams come out winner, it's basically winner takes all you won this game you've virtually qualified for the knockout stage so the Scotland team that day was Andy Gordon Boo Colin Calderwood <laughs> Colin Hendry, boo. Tom Boyd, Stuart McKinney, eh, Tosh McKinley, Stuart McCall, boo. Gary McAllister, boo. John Collins, <laughs> Gordon Jury, boo. John Spencer, boo. Bizarre. No, no the Spencer one threw <laughs> me when I looked at that. I, I honestly had to read it twice. I couldn't believe. I, I certainly cannot remember him being on the park, John Spencer, for this game. But... I remember what jeans I was wearing, but I can't remember John Spencer playing for Scotland. It's the same way if somebody would have asked you, did Robert Fleck ever play in a Robert World Cup? You would have went, no. Then he plays two games at Italia 90. It's mad. I know. And you're going, when, when, how can I not remember Robert Fleck playing for Scotland? That's and crazy. John Spencer's virtually the same in this. And you mm-hmm. go, John Spencer, really? He got into that team ahead of Kevin Gallagher. That's frightening, eh? See, another thing, just because your, your mind plays tricks on you, Kev, I remember the 1989 World Cup finals. Obviously, they were played in Scotland. And I remember being at the semi at Tynecastle where we beat Portugal 1-0. Brian O'Neill scored the header. Lewis uh, Figo, were you there? What a I crowd. Figo was playing in midfield for Portugal. Uh, you know, there were other Portuguese greats playing there. But Craig Brown was the manager. It was only seven years before this game we're talking about because it was in, I think it was in June the World Cup finals, not under-16s. And Craig Brown, seven years previous, was at a World Cup final. So, you know, people don't like his style. There's arguments around management at the moment. But he he, he had a great record when it came to actually qualifying. De- de- definitely. Uh, the dude abides, comes in, he says, that Scotland lineup is the ugliest, ugliest in history. I don't think there's much argument there. Well, can you John, can you call John Collins ugly? No, he brought the average. He brought it right uh, up. He, I mean, he to be fair, he, he didn't have much backup. But uh, <laughs> Collins was a good-looking fella at that time. <laughs> he was definitely. Who else is there? Gone. Aye, ugly. Calderwood. Oh, Calderwood actually. No, we're doing this jokingly. We're no having a you're, you're allowed. You're allowed to have a bit of humour, Kev. This, this is this this is we didn't take this serious, so anything we say does not come serious. Right, Gordon, you've got a point. Calderwood, he always looked like a, a like a a pound shop Littlewoods catalogue model. Eh? 
you know, that's that's what he looked like. Colin Hendry, he, he looked he looks like one of the Americans you see up Stirling Castle every summer. <laughs> and he still has the same hairdo all these years later, so I, I feel his pain. Yes, Tom Boyd. I wait, Tom wasn't there. Gorgeous, gorgeous. Stuart McKimmy. McKimmy, McKimmy was not a bad player. I'm not 100 percent sure about his his looks he's, right enough. Ah, well, but, well, you know, McKimmy, steady. He's steady. Uh, mediocre. As a player or his looks? No, he was a good player. He was a good player, eh? He was always, he was always one of the boys when you're looking for a right back. You wondered if you could get him for Aberdeen. Nah, he, he was a good player. He, 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 was, he was always solid enough. Uh, Tosh. Sorry, Gorgeous. Tosh. <laughs> 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 uh, Stuart McCall, another one with a stupid haircut. Again, we're having a laugh here, boys. Uh, Gary McAllister, he was going a bit bald at that point and a bit bean polish. Uh, Collins, absolute sex god, Gordon Jury. <laughs> well, Jury <laughs> was a fifer, so he was quite, he was good looking as well. Uh, and John Spencer was just like a wee hobbit who who had who had been an extra fae lord of the wing, rings. Right, that's that's enough of the, the, the Scotland team. No sure how, I'm not sure how we got into that, Kev, no. but you know, I'll, I'll run with it. It was a, it was a dude of vibes fault. Yeah, he 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 mentioned that Donny Boy sixty seven. I jukebox had a face for the radio. True, that's what I says. I heard before Paul decided to put us on YouTube. Always says always says I had a face for the radio. Good good view song that. So we've got a massive build up to this game, and the first half is utter rubbish. The first half is utter forgetful. It's almost as if the players have, forgo- have forgotten that they've actually meant to be playing football. Can I go back to jukebox? Can yeah. I go back to jukebox? Right, Cu- couple of things. Couple of things. I always remember him. It was at Spurs when the Premier League launched. And can you remember the original Premier League videos? And it was uh, Simple Minds. Don't you forget uh, about me, right? Yes. And he's in it. He's in it, and it was it was classic. You'll probably get it on YouTube, but he's in it for Spurs, and he's a fifer, and he's one of the guys that if you speak to anybody around about the Inverkeithing area of Fife, Kevin, they'll tell you, you know that old that old myth. Ah, his brother was a better player. Campbell Jury, they reckon was a better player than than Gordon Jury. Didn't he make the grade though? Did he? But uh, I always remember that he was in the video with Spurs, and it takes me on to the strips that Scotland were wearing that day. I don't know if, the, if you were going to mention this. You've got to mention the strips that Scotland were wearing in that tournament and for this particular game. Because for me, it's my favourite Scotland jersey of all time. The Is home that, jersey. Oh, the tartan one. The tartan mm-hmm. one. Aye. Uh, I think I can remember not liking it at the time. I think it was too shortbread-ish for my taste at that point. Eh? But then... When I look at look back on it now, I'm going. That was quite a smart. It's like it's like the Celtic top with the free the free bands. At the time, didn't like it, but now when I look back, I go, that's actually quite a decent top. That I would it's buy aged that. Aged well. I I liked the the uh, the double diamond doing the sleeves because that was a throwback to classic kind of like early eighties umbro designs. So I was a big fan of the tartan. Away. Let's be honest. It's difficult to 
bring Tartan into a football design, a football jersey design, and for it to work, Kev. There's been some horrific examples of this, but I think they got it right. I think Umbro got it right on this occasion. I don't think they got the away top right, that yellow number with uh, the dark blue. Aye, that was uh, sad. For me, my favourite Scotland top has to be the 86 World Cup one. Home or away? Both. Home. I like the home, then the 1990 away one, the white with the dark blue and the yellow. I, I like that. That's the two. Uh, Mexico 86 shorts, yes or no, with a hoop? Did they work, did it? I still, I still like it because it was a hoop so I was happy with that Kieran says fashion and hair show tonight get on with the football Kev right <laughs> so, so I'm getting helped to move on to the football move on move on Facebook user my fave is Italian 90 away have that I agree with that I completely agree with that I also like the England third kit in Italian 90 the light blue mm. the that uh, Bernard Sumner wears in the World in Motion video. I do, yeah. I do like that kit. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't buy it, but I, but I, but I do actually like classic like Umbro designs, mate. Classic Umbro templates. <laughs> so nothing happens until fifty-three minutes when Gary Neville bursts down the right-hand side and crosses, and he catches out the free Scottish centre halves he catches out Andy Gorm and there's Alan Shearer doing what Alan Shearer does at the back of the post putting it in the back of the net now Shearer's a bit of a polarised figure but he could score goals eh? he, he, was, he, could. he was a striker eh? yeah, his record was was phenomenal Kevin you know he made it into the the lyrics of a Celtic song when you obviously we went for Shearer but we know the rest. Uh, but he was a phenomenal striker and you've got to look at the fact that he could have probably signed for Man United, he could have probably signed for any club in England, but he wanted to go to his, his hometown team and he, and he didn't win enough trophies because of that. So, mm-hmm. like him or loathe him, there's some good aspects to him as a player and he was an incredible striker. He was an incredible striker and he always, as well, he, he was one of those players that you always wanted England to fail because he had that sort of arrogance about him. He always had that sort of little Englander arrogance, which I don't think a Geordie should actually have. Because for me, Geordies are just Scots folk who couldn't climb Adrian's wall. They couldn't work out how to get across it. So the, when you look at Sheer, and also, I, well, I have to say he's maybe a good guy because he invited us down for his testimonial. Well, you know, there was a time though, Kev, where if you wanted a full house, you invited Celtic. And it got to the point that I think we were getting played by a lot of them. You know, there was a lot of players down there with no association to Celtic. Uh, a lot of them obviously loved the club, etc. But, you know, we were going to these testimonials because we could behave and would fill your stadium. And then so obviously your payday was bigger. And there, were, there was various ones that I always felt, they're only asking us down because they know these two things are going to make a quick buck and we're not going to wreck the joint. Um, and, and, you know, other other players like Beardsley who had an affinity with Celtic, I get that. But then, you know, Ryan Giggs, did Ryan Giggs like Celtic? We went down there, packed the place out, gave him a few quid. But she, did she really need five, six thousand, seven thousand Celtic fans to go down there to sell at St James's Park? 
I probably could. He probably could have sold it to Newcastle fans. To be fair, I don't. I don't think he needed us. Eh? Uh, but that that game was fixed as well. No, remember the penalty kick. Well, I was there. I was there, and the penalty kick meant the goal in the last minute, so he could sure so so he could score. I was getting mixed up with Jordy Shore there. Jordy score. Um, so. Aye, I stuff that stuff. They're the only team, though. Newcastle are the only English. I, I've already spoken, you know, a lot about the fact I don't support an English team. I love Liverpool. I love the city. I love the the club. I love everything that they stand for. Um, for reasons we've discussed elsewhere on on the podcast and that, Kev. I don't support an English football team, but the one team that I have watched more in person than any other is Newcastle. I've gone to more Newcastle games than Old Trafford or Anfield or any other stadium in, in England. I've gone to uh, Newcastle more often than any other. There must be a reason for that. Uh, you know, I think I like the people. I like the people and I like the atmosphere. Uh, obviously, the, the club itself, I think, is has underperformed for years. But I did go down quite a bit in the 1990s uh, to watch Newcastle. I haven't been to a game since the 4-4 game against Arsenal. Right. I left it, I left it at half-time. I know there's quite a few guys from Stirling go to watch Newcastle, they jump in the early train mm-hmm. and get down and get the last train back, back up the road, eh? It's more about the day that, than the fact that I've got an affinity with a club. But I do like the fans. I do like the fan base. I've been to, I've been to Newcastle. I was at that testimonial. I also went to Newcastle against Middlesbrough mm-hmm. uh, for some bizarre reason. And others, I've been to the Stadium of Light in Sunderland, but not to watch Celtic. It was to watch Sunderland against Liverpool. And up front that night, that day for Liverpool was Fernando Torres and Robbie Keane. That shows you how long that, that shows you how long ago that was. Eh? Right, let's get back to this game. So Shearer's put England one the up. Just after that, Gascoigne crosses the ball to Sherman and Andy Gorham does what Andy Gorham does and makes a fantastic save for a header to keep Scotland in the game. So the game sort of livened up at this point and Craig Bowne makes a couple of substitutions. Mm-hmm. So Toss McKinley links up with John Collins on the left-hand side and Collins bursts into the box. Pitzauer a great ball and Gordon Jury should score with a header, but David Seaman, another great goalkeeper at that point, somehow managed to save the header. And so you're thinking to yourself, we're still in this game. Scotland are still in this game. And then comes the infamous penalty kick. So we're going to need to talk about the penalty kick. How we get the penalty is Stuart McKimmy bursts into goes down the right-hand side, plays a great ball inside to, to Gordon Jury, who Tony Adams brings down. So when Tony Adams brings him down, he's got no complaints whatsoever what the penalty's given. There's none of this, what you see nowadays, the defender would have been up going, oh, I never touched him, I never touched him. Adams knows himself, so he absolutely clattered him and it's a stonewall penalty kick and there's no argument uh, that... that the referees gave the penalty. I actually laughed when I watched it back, eh, just to see Adam's reaction. His reaction was like, aye, well, I, I'll bring him down, that's it. I'm doing a bit of the old digressing today, and I, I appreciate that, Kev, but I've got to bring this in. Remember, Tony Adams claimed that he was in for the Celtic job. Can you remember that? And then it was absolutely dismissed by the club. Well, if he hangs around long enough, he might be in for the Celtic job again. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> was it the 2010 appointment? Was it then? And he's actually come out and claimed that he's in talks with Celtic and then Celtic dismissed it. Can you remember that? 
Uh, it was a bizarre. It was a bizarre. Uh, it was a bizarre twist. Yes. Yes. Eh, uh, maybe Peter Law still got that file somewhere, <laughs> and Tony Adams will reappear on the list of maybe as director of football or nothing Stenberg, would surprise or, me. Nothing would surprise me, Kev, or something like that. So we get the penalty kick, and we all know what happens with the penalty kick. You've got that. What's his name? Yuri Geller saying that he, he moved the ball. See, for me, it's just a bad penalty kick. I think Gary McAllister absolutely bottles it. Mm-hmm. And he's steady, being cool, calm and collective. He actually just tries to go for power straight down the middle, but he puts it too much to his left-hand side. And it's an easy save for Seaman. It's a great height for Seaman to actually save it. And what I'm going to say right now is if John Collins takes that penalty kick we won that game I was just going to say that I totally agree with you John Collins should have taken the kick and we would have been talking about something completely different definitely because Collins would have scored that penalty kick you saw it what he done in the 1998 World Cup big opening game mm-hmm. world, world stage world stage the wee wink at the camera when, when the camera's passing he would he would have loved to take that penalty kick. That was right up that was right up his street. That was him down to a T. Cool. It'd have been kick. cool. Yeah, I, I agree with you, mate. I think that, you know, uh, in a parallel universe, which I know you're a big fan of, that happens and it's a completely different outcome. Definitely. Um so I watched this in the pub in Bannet when McHugh's and I remember the place gone mental when we got the penalty kick. Then, you spent a lot of time in McHugh's, mate, didn't you? I did, aye. That's two weeks in a row I've mentioned it. They should actually start giving my dad free drink because he drinks in there, eh? So maybe they should... Aye, he does watch this, actually. So, hiya, Dad. Can um, I just, again, a wee digression here, right? Daniel MC's coming in to say that he hates semen. I don't hate semen, right? But he is an absolute doppelganger for Paddy Considine. He is. Now... Now he is now, not the end with the ponytail and that, but now he is Paddy Considine. It's incredible how he's morphed into Considine. And the dude ab- abides comes in again and says, Tony Adams used to go out with Caprice. I That's remember true. that. That's yeah. true as well. What was her second name though without uh, Wikipedia in it? I haven't got a clue, I'm not even going to guess it. I'm going to go for Bure. Can somebody <laughs> check that? Bure, B-O-U-R-E-T-T or something. Aye, something like that. <laughs> Hi, Caprice Bure. Aye, I, I didn't, I, I didn't hate Seaman, uh, but <laughs> no, no, that's another one for the most popular. <laughs> Kevin Graham. Oh, it's before the watershed, son. It's Sunday day with goalkeepers, I think. Eh? What are you like, man? I know, Aye. I know. Uh, oh, wait, wait. <laughs> Right, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm moving swiftly, swiftly on. Right, we missed the penalty kick. That, <laughs> that, that Arsenal goalie then gets the ball, <laughs> punts it up the park, Sheridan wins it, lays it to Darren. And I'm keeping going, I'm most open, I'm most open. <laughs> uh, uh, Darren Anderson plays it to Gascoigne, who lobs Colin Hendry. And the next time I see Colin Hendry flail like this, as in the five-one game at Celtic Park, mm-hmm. so Henry falls on Henry, Henry falls on his arse here, and when you see him trying to catch Henrik Larsson in that five-one game, 
is the exact same. It's the exact same panic, and it's, a, it's almost as if he's trying to swap flies. And Gascoigne scores that goal, then away, and then then goes away and does that. Goes away and does that celebration. Again, can I interject? Uh huh. Can you remember, obviously, the circumstances behind the dentist chair? This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct to consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. They've gone for a game against Hong Kong. Yes. Can you remember it? And Hong Kong yes. were playing in pink. It was live on the telly, bizarrely. And they were wearing a pink uh, kit. And there was some bizarre rule whereby they were able to play guys like Dave Watson, formerly of Everton. So he's playing for Hong Kong. And another guy that was playing was Lee Bullen. Lee Bullen from Pennycook. I played football with his wee brother, Glenn. Right? Right. And... Lee Bullen had previously played for Meadowbank Thistle, Pennycook Athletic. He ends up in Hong Kong playing the international game. He's in the picture, I'm sure, of the original dentist chair. Lee, Lee Bullen's big uh, wee brother played for S Mills and Pennycook with me. So I'm looking at that going, that, is that the same Lee Bullen? And it was. He comes back to uh, Britain and forges out a career with Dunfermline and Sheffield okay. Wednesday. And I think Falkirk, I think he was at Falkirk, but he was the guy that was playing for Hong Kong that was before the dentist chair, and it was Lee Bullen from Pennycook. So there you go. Dentist chair, famous photo. Also wrecked, did they not wreck a bar and wreck the plane on the way back as well? There was a big thing round about it. And the English press, as the English press do, turned on that side. They did, and Gascoigne. Gascoigne. Gascoigne, especially yep. in, the weeks before, uh, in the weeks before that tournament. I, I remember it well. So, but by the time you get to that tournament and that gold, next thing you know, Gascoigne's back to his uh, World Cup 1990 popularity and like England are going to win it, it's coming home and we need to talk about that song it's coming home, but I'm going to go back to my rational hate with Ali McCoyst here I remember I went on about it last week my rational you did, hate, uh, you did. I, I think that, that, listen mate, it's, I'm not sure if it's a hatred or a respect I'm not sure which one it is I think you secretly respect them I think it's a football fan thing. I think, see how sometimes football fans' minds are warped in certain ways. When I was watching the highlights back of this game, I didn't get annoyed with the penalty kick miss. I didn't get annoyed with Gascoigne's goal. I got annoyed with Alan McCoy laughing and joking with Paul Gascoigne at the final whistle when they were swapping tops. I got annoyed with that. And... 
Can I ask you, Kev, right? Because yes. you obviously do have a deep-rooted issue with Alistair McCoist. Um, is there a Rangers player that you've ever looked at and thought, I quite like him? Low drop. Didn't even I knew, have to I knew, I knew you were going to say that. Didn't even I knew you were going to say that. What, what was there not to like, other than the fact that he used to rip us to pieces, unless I know he was marking him? What was there not to like about him? He was a class player, and I think he was a bit of a class act off the park as well. So He was, and I mean, it must be quite hard having a brother that's more talented than you. He well. was the third best player in his house. You said it last week. His dad, his dad was a better player as well. <laughs> so, aye, loud drop the foot. I mean, I mean, you look at guys. During, I mean, everybody like myself who grew up watching Celtic in the nineties, and you, you look. Then these scream of Celtics. You look. You look back, and you look at some of the Rangers team at that time. When I when I uh, like mentioned that Rangers back line, like Patrick. Uh, last week, Cleland, and you go, how did we know absolutely rip them with that Celtic team that we had? And, and it's the same having a look at this, you see Henry Calderwood, and you go, why did we actually manage to go through qualification only losing one game? It's, be- it's because they were organised. These boys knew do the- their job. Didn't it matter that they weren't great, but they were better me and you because they're playing at that level of football, but they understood how to defend, and that's all they were there to do. And it's something that they... Here's the thing. Here's the thing, Kev, right? I wasn't quite sure what my point was in relation to the fact that Brown had taken the under-16s to the World Cup Finals, but surely if the under-16s go to the World Cup Finals seven years before this game, they should be in their prime. The, the, The crop of Scotland's talent in 1989 would be 20 six years of age mm-hmm. by the time this game comes around, right? No, we're um, 16 back then, so there'll be 22, 23. But none of them are in the squad. Not not a single are. player is in the squad. That's a, that's a damning... That, that's a podcast in itself mm. to have a look at what happened to that 1990 team. So they're, the 23, they're 23 at the time that this game's played and not a single player's in the squad. So that, that that is an incredible that that is an incredible put down to Scottish football mm-hmm. of that team of, of what happened to those players. I mean, obviously Paul Dickoff would, would probably be the only one. Brian O'Neill as well. Dickoff and O'Neill were the only ones that would you would say had a career, a, 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 a career at the highest level. But even then, Dickoff went down to. League Division 2 with Man City mm-hmm. at the time, eh? No, you're right. I mean, I, I remember the team well because obviously we went to the game. It was guys like, I think, uh, Jim Beattie was playing. Um, Jim has been diagnosed with MND fairly mm-hmm. recently. Uh, but you're struggling. Uh, Ian Downey played. He, he was the Valafield connection. He played. He was with Aberdeen at the time. Uh, I can tell you what he's doing. He's a postman in Inverkeithen. But th- the point remains, you know, at that point, we were the we were World Cup finalists. We were cheated out the final by a Saudi Arabian team who were, who were overage, some of them anyway. And uh, by the age of 23, they're all kind of like, you know, either journeyman footballers, dropping down leagues, Kev, or out the game. I remember there was a guy called Watt was the captain was it Jim was, did he not end up at Brecon and play a long time at Brecon 
I think so. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I remember Kevin that. Kevin Bain. Kevin Bain ended up at uh, Dundee or Falkirk. But no, you're right. I what was what was with Arsenal at the time of the the finals? But um, aye, interesting. Uh, that Saudi team, uh, Kieran comes back, and that Saudi team over age. I know they were over age uh, because my pal was a bouncer at the Foo Bar when they tried to get in the night after they won the World Cup. <laughs> now, the Foo Bar, you, you remember it for various reasons, Kev. I was far more fond of the kebab shop next door, which had the best name ever. It was Abra Kebabra. Abra Kebabra. No. Great. That was when I, I, that's when I used to eat meat. It's the same with the, it's, it's the, same with the, the Chinese on the way to Dalgetty Bay called the Phony Inn. <laughs> <laughs> There's a sign for it on the road if you're gone, if you're Brilliant. gone, and it's called the phony in. So, we all know what happened, and we all know what happens after this game. Ali McCoy scores against the Swiss, but the fact that Patrick Clivert scores a consolation goal in a 4 1 defeat to England means that we go out and goal scored. And it's another heartache for Scotland. But I, I think, uh, looking back on that game, it was a good day. It was a decent day. And what I can remember about that day, and we'll, we'll just move on to the music bit just now, is the music round about at that time. 100%. Uh, the music round about at that time. And what I'm going to speak about first before we go on to what the, what the headline is, was the Manic Street Preachers had just released Everything Must Go. And I remember hearing a design for life everywhere mm-hmm. about this tournament. And it's actually like a soundtrack to this tournament. And that, and also, when England got put out on penalty kicks by Germany, they played Walk Away with Cast as well, which I always, always remember as well. That's Kenny slow montages. And you've got John Power singing that beautiful song over, over, over the top of it. And I remember that. But I, re- I reckon a design, for, a, des- a design for life was used quite a, quite a lot in that tournament as well. That's a great album by the Manix, eh? Aye, I think it is. And it was one of the ones where when you, you look at what the band had gone through as well, Kev, um, you know, and everybody knows the heartache that that would have caused. And they came back, a lot of Manix fans would say it's not their best album. It was certainly it's mo- the most uh, palatable to a wider audience at that stage. And all the, the singles were big, big hitting singles. And then they obviously did the, the festival circuit. And it's like you say, that that... that that tune was everywhere, um, and I there, there was a there was a real resurgence of Welsh bands around about that time, you know, because another another uh, album that I was into in that year was uh, the Super Furry Animals. There was a few other Welsh bands around about that time. So it just it's interesting how sometimes a clutch of bands from an area, because I mean Welsh is a country, uh, Wales is a country, but they they talk about Scotland like we're just an area as well, or, or a specific uh, time period, Manchester or Liverpool bands. Uh, but interestingly. I think we're actually now in an, uh, an era where there's a clutch of Scottish bands coming through the now as well, and, and I, I hope I hope that creates. And I don't like the word a scene, but I hope it creates a vibe where these bands can come through and flourish. But yeah, I was I was a big fan of the Manics. I've got to say I was a big fan, and I kind of done my usual. I was into them for three albums and then left them. Well, I'm, I must admit I don't own this album, but I remember it at this time because. Well, I also remember about this time the local shop in Bannockburn. You had, you had, you could get eight cans of Muller for a fiver. That was a that was a Euro '96 deal. 
So you were like, get in there for a five and you were getting absolutely steaming. And you would go to somebody's house to watch it, and this album was always on. And that's that's where I remember that's where I remember it from me. Eh? Uh, I don't own the album, but when I listen to it today, I could remember every tune off it. I've but got two two, two copies because one of them came in from Britannia. And I'd already bought it. And you could never return these things, Kev. Uh, we, Russell and I had this discussion. I remember the Britannia Music Club. So I already had the album and this thing dropped in. You ended up paying about 18 quid for it. So I I'd, mm. I would offer it to you, but I, I'm sure you don't even have a CD player. I don't actually know. I, I don't actually have a CD player. Not even in the car anymore. Wait, uh, I, I, I've sent you a picture of my CD player. It's in my oh, kitchen. Right. Yeah. Yes. It's uh, going to turn 25 next year. I bought it with my first wage. It's, it's a cracking CD player. I know. That's a cracking CD player. I, I love it. I love the. I love the retro feel to it and like the the. It's a it's a Technix with blue neon lights. It's just. It's, it's fantastic. If you put that on eBay, then now some hipster West End hipster would give you a thousand quid for it. It's going nowhere. He would. It's yeah. gone nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that year I know you're going to go through your music. But I was going to ask you a wee, a wee teaser. Okay. Do you know? Do you know who won the Mercury Music Prize in 1996? Uh, Another one that Big I remember, fan. another one that I don't own, but I remember about f- uh, over that year again, just being in certain places where the album's on. Uh, I've got a lot, lot of albums round about that time that I don't own, but I know inside out because I heard them that many times. Uh, and that's what when Euro when Euro '96 was starting, the Manics came out with that album, and I just remember that was the sort of soundtrack. Obviously, you had the other side. It was the Manix album, also the the Trainspotting soundtrack that was still carried on from the year year before. That was still massive. Player and and the the group of friends I was kicking about with at that time. Uh, they, they were the two albums that were getting played quite a bit. You've mentioned that album a few times. It's a it's an excellent soundtrack, but I, I don't know. Did you mention why Oasis weren't on it? No. Do you know the reason why they weren't on it? Is it Sunday Day when Noel Gallagher been what Liam called them in that tweet? <laughs> well, they were approached to be on it. I mean, they're the glaring omission from that soundtrack of that time, Kevin. When you look at the, the, the playlist, you know, at that time you're thinking, where's Oasis, right? But Noel hadn't read the book, right? And uh, he claims his favourite book is On the Road by Kerouac. I don't think he's read that either. But he hadn't read the book and he thought, Trainspotting, why would I want to put a, a song on a soundtrack about Trainspotting? Uh, so he refused. And he, now, he now talks about it, but he, he was approached and he refused. And, you know, the rest is history. But there you go. That, that's like the, the old Gav Whelan uh, for the Happy Mondays. Mm. Um, friend of your, yourself he's messaged you a couple of times when he has the joke that if you ask Noel what his favourite Beatles album he says the greatest hits <laughs> I know I mean the thing is though right it, a lot of people have said that he, he, his musical kind of collection wasn't that eclectic 
you know, even right up to the point where he goes away to be the roadie, the Inspirals, and he was all about buying greatest hits compilations. And when you look at that latest release that's coming out, I think, next week, uh, 10 years in old Gallagher's High Flying Birds, it's based on a BG's greatest hits album. The, the design is based on a BG's greatest hits album, which apparently he bought in a service station somewhere when he was on the road with Inspirals. So I don't think Noel Gallagher, his kind of musical ingredients were there in the early days. I think that, uh, you know, in time, he's managed to amass uh, a much wider kind of uh, list of influences. But back then, you know, he was buying greatest hits albums by the Bee Gees. No, there's no shame in that. But No shame in that whatsoever. No shame in that whatsoever. But then you have a look at guy that we love, and there's guys in the comments mentioning Lee Mavers. Lee Mavers is an utter genius, but another Scouse genius is a guy called Michael Head, which being you have spoke about very, very often on... on Every podcast that we actually do, we seem to talk about Jason Pierce and Michael Head. Mm-hmm. And Mick Head, in the interviews, has actually admitted his record collection is not eclectic. No. I, think he's, I think he says he stopped buying records when he bought Love's album. Forever, <laughs> forever he, changes. Forever changes. I think he said Listen. he didn't need another record after that. I get that, though. I mean, you listen to that and you think, well, is there anything else? Do you really need to listen? That is still... Oh, it's always in my top three. Sometimes goes up to one, sometimes drops to two. It's always my top three albums of all time. Nineteen sixty-seven, Forever Changes, a immense album. It's a great album. Eh? It's an utterly fantastic album. But then you've got Mick Head at that end of the scale. Then you've got Bobby Gillespie, and Bobby Gillespie is an utter music head. Who he's a he's a total vampire, mate. He doesn't age. He looks the same today as he did when he was playing drums. And the Jesus and Mary chain. He doesn't age. He I'm sure so. he's a vampire. Remember that time? No, it wasn't you. But remember that time I was, uh, I got the old backstage treatment at the, the bar. It was the last gig I was at. And, uh, and, and Gillespie's there. And I'm thinking, you know, he's not aged, mate. But when you, when you hear and read Gillespie speaking and, and talking about music, he has got a, his record Aye. collection is vast. It's and incredible. He, and... He's he's a right obsessive about music, whereas some... I, I think if he asked me what's your favourite album and I say The Stone Rosie, The Stone Rosie would probably refuse to talk to me. I think that would be the type of... I think he's a bit of a musical snob, according to, according to people that have met him. But then I, I get, you know, the Roses album, which I loved. I've, there's no other album on this planet that I've listened to more than the debut album by the Stone Roses. But I think the, the likes of Gillespie and all that, what they do is they go to the roots, don't they? They go to the roots of the music that thereafter appears 30 years later. So they dig down, like Can, for example. Um, you know, he becomes obsessed with Can and he, he basically goes out there. There's a great uh, video on YouTube on record picking. And the records that he's picking out in this obscure rec- record store, I don't think anybody will have heard of them, but he's doing it because there's a, a great track or a great bass line or something. His musical uh, knowledge is, is immense. I'm looking forward to his autobiography coming out. Definitely, and he's got some solo stuff coming out as well. And the first single that's been released off it, if they do singles, has been really, really good. Yeah. We'll have a look. Since we've mentioned Bobby Gillespie, we may as well have a look at what the title of this podcast is. Now, in the charts, in the charts of the week that Scotland played England, 
Number one is killing me softly by the Fugees. Great tune. Great tune. I went to see Lauren Hull two, three years ago at the at the Hydro. Fantastic mm-hmm. night. Number two is Free Lions. Whatever you actually say about it, it's a tune. It is one of the best football songs ever written. For can, can I just, again, a wee interjection, right? Ian Broody produced the Pale Fountains. You know the two Pale Fountains albums? Obviously, Mick Head, who you've just mentioned there, his first band were the Pale Fountains. Ian Broody produced them. They're a band that if you were ever to buy or, or go into your playlist and do a random Britpop thing or 90s indie music or whatever, there's always a Lightning Seed song in there, Kev, right? And I'm, I'm prepared to say this, and people might shout me down. I, I cannot stand the Lightning Seeds, mate. Can't yeah. stand them. They're rotten. But then, when you hear the life of Riley at match of the day, you go, "That's a crack. That's a cracking wee bit of tune. Now that's catchy." <laughs> He's got that wee. He can hit you with thirty settings, and you go, "Ah, you can what you're doing there." And he, and he, and you knew what he was doing with three lines. Three lines probably caught the the mood of the English nation using the fantasy football guys as well. Um, Bedell and Skinner, and. I'll put my hands up I I do not mind Free Lions as a song I'm going to bring this up Kev because my job tonight is just to take you off the beaten track who was in the picture this is actually leading into what Kevin's going to talk about this is the front cover of the song that we're talking about it's when Primal Scream and Irvin Welsh teamed up and when was that incident there where they obviously stormed the pitch at Wembley 1977 1977 and they snapped it so we've got it framed in the studio basically what actually happened was the primal scheme Irvin Welsh and the U Sound System came up with an alternative Scotland song for Euro 96 and the week that we and the week that we were playing at Wembley at number 16 at the charts was the official Scotland squad song Rod Stewart and the Scotland squad with Purple Herer. That was the official Scotland squad for Euro 96. Scotland song for Euro 96 story. And at number 17 is the Big Man and the Scream Team. And you sound... The song is called Big Man and the Scream Team Meet the Barmy Army Uptown. And that was number number 17 at the charts. And Paul's holding up there as the front cover. As front cover. But I'm going to... uh, Underneath it, it says 800 years... The oppression continues. The original version banned by UEFA available on this single only. Limited edition release for one week on the 3rd of June 1996. 12 inch CD MC. There you go. Now, why was it banned by UEFA? It's probably a little known song even though it got to number 17 in the charts at that, because it's kind of been thrown together by bits that have been left over by the Primal Scream's Vanishing Point. It's got that sort of dub feel. It's got the train, the, the song Trainspot and dub feel about it. And it's got, like, sample crowd noises, and it's got backing singers singing Who Are Ye? It's got crowd noises. Then Irvin Welsh comes in. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. 
trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Way, lyrics, poems, spoken word bit. And he actually says, in every hick town in Caledonia, across this puzzled nation, you can see the most effed up scum ever est into creation, where a blue McEwen's lager top equals no imagination. You're unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> that is on, that is why it was banned by UEFA. That yep. is why nobody in Scotland wanted anything to do with it. And that's why it made the front page of the Daily Record Sunday Mail being Irvine Welsh, who was the biggest author on the planet at this point, controversy. And when I still, when I actually read that out there, I was like, I can't believe that I ended up at number 17 in the church. It's fantastic. When you think about where Irvin Welsh was in his, his own kind of like uh, journey, so he released Trainspotting in 93, Maribou Stock Nightmares, which is still my favourite ever Irvin Welsh book, and that came out in 1995. Uh, the Acid House in 94, and Ecstasy, Three Tales of Chemical Romance in 96, just before the finals. So he was hot, hot property. And, you know, I know that he's a big hippie. I don't think he's a a massive lover of Celtic either to be fair but whenever he's talking about Rangers he just gets wired right in and he did that on this song he definitely he doesn't miss and there's another version of this song where it's just him doing the vocals and some of the what do you stuff- think happens to all the baby outside the ground he goes on like that eh? all the well, baby that gets confiscated by the polis well, this, this was one that did it. And it's a question that we've all asked. And he actually says, what do the polis do with all the confiscated bevy? Bucket, buckets and bags of it. Give it to the jakies? Drink it themselves? Maybe. Give it back to the retailers to sell it back to us. Again, the cease. <laughs> the thing, I can tell you exactly what the polis do with the bevy. They drink it. For the Christmas a lot of it is drank in CID offices aye? there's wee fridges all over the place and uh, others is kind of saved up so they can get that promo shot you know in America where they confiscate big kind of like um, machine guns and everything and we've got a couple of bottles of 2020 and we pour them doing a sink and all this kind of stuff and get a photo opportunity but aye, a lot of it is drank if it's uh, bottles of beer that's not been cracked on well, there you go you heard it here first the other line that Irvin Wells comes in with he says, the mystery of Scottish sport is why we hate the English so. I love the English very, very much. As long as they don't beat us in the European Nations Cup, you're unbelievable. And, and he, he says, cut, he says, cut. You're unbelievable. It's one of these, I, I bought this single. <laughs> I did I've got them. it, I've got it on CD, mate. I, I've, I've got it on CD as well, eh? And when I went back to listen to this as well, I was going, that's actually better than what I thought it was. There's a bit towards the end when Andrew Innes and Frob come in with the guitars and it gets a bit a bit funky towards the end. And and it's like it's good. You know it appeared on an album though. You realise it did appear on an album, Kev. Did you know that? Not not a Primal Scream album. What album did that appear on? This actually appeared on an official uh, compilation album. And track one on that album was Three Lions. Primal Scream appeared on track eight. Uh, 
and there was a, a World in Motion remix, track seven. Various other bands, Black Grape wrote a song called England's Irie with Joe Strummer and Keith Allen. Don't know if you remember that. Remember. Um, yep, and interestingly enough, and I'm just trying to find it here, right? The Gyres were on it. Remember the Scottish band, The Gyres? They were on this album, and Northern Uproar were on this album with a song called I Am The Cosmos. It's a 22-track album for this tournament, an official album, Kev. And the, and the Scream Team and Irvine Welsh ended up on this album. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that's unbelievable. Again, it's one of these... That, that would never get passed anywhere nowadays. No, it would never. There would, there would be cancel polls everywhere. Going, oh, you can't say that. You can't say that. We'll probably get in trouble for actually just reading the lyrics to a song that was in the charts in 1996. Fair usage, mate. You're it's, quoting it. You're quoting it. No, it's uh, what I have to ask is his his statement about every hick town in Caledonia. Has they really changed in the 25 years? Yeah, no, across the pseudo nation. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Has they really changed in the 25 years of the scenes for George Square or anything to go, uh, or anything to go by in the last couple of weeks? If anything, uh, it's got worse, Kev. Uh, if anything, uh, it's got worse. Where a blue 32 red castor top boat for Turkey equals no imagination. <laughs> Yes, we could do a, we could actually do a remix version for this tournament if you wish, Kev. You could do the voiceover, but um, I think I got that poster free. I'm sure I did. I bought that single in a shop in Dunfermline called. Um, I think oh, you got. I think you got a poster with it. Did you? Know yeah, I think I got that poster. I'm sure I did, and I kept it. Um, and obviously, there it is. I try to remember the name of that record shop. Uh, it wasn't Vinyl Villains because that was in Edinburgh. But uh, I kept the I kept the poster, put it in a frame. There you go. Mm. Aye, well, that was good to go back doing that wee memory lane. Third uh, base, third base. That was the name of the shop in Dunfermline. Yep. Mm-hmm. Any album you want to talk about that time, Paul? Or will, or will just uh, mate, I must admit, at that time in my life, I was absolutely, you know, all my money was going on chippy jeans and music, really, and. When you look at 1996, Black Grape, it's great when you're straight. Yeah, still listen to that album to this day. Manic Street Preachers, you've mentioned already. Uh, Pulp was a big one for me. Uh, but remember the, the War Child album, Help, came out that year as well. Yes, that's right, aye. aye. Um, I listened to that a hell of a lot because there was a couple of really good uh, versions of uh, songs by the Stone Roses and Oasis on it as well. There was uh, Murder Ballads by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, DJ Shadow, Introducing, Super Funny Animals with Fuzzy Logic. Uh, brilliant. Uh, when I look back there, I know that you guys are struggling actually to get years, kind of like in the last 20 years where it's a good year for music. And then you go back to 1996 and there's so many brilliant albums. Nas, it was written Obviously, Nas uh, gave us the name for a Celtic state of mind, a New York state of mind. So, uh, loads of brilliant albums. And uh, but I've got to say, to all of them, the one that really has, um, you know, for me, still uh, stood the test of time is Black Grape. Even though that single that was on the album was uh, England's Irie, it was the worst thing they ever did. It was rotten. 
terrible it song. No, I, it was terrible. It was absolutely rotten. As you say, it was a fantastic time for music and it was also a fantastic time for football. That tournament was great. I almost remember being like impressed by the Croatians uh, in that, that tournament as well. Davar Sukar, uh, they actually became my second fav- favourite. My second, I supported the Croatia after Scotland went out because I wanted them to do well, just because of the whole backstory. And uh, they were a talented, talented side. Um, I loved that tournament. It was a great time, a great time, great time to be twenty. And hopefully, this tournament lives up to some of its build, build up. But there's no fans, eh? That's. Uh, I was I was listening in. There was one of the shows a few weeks ago with Stephen Scrag, and he was talking about um, the demise or, or uh, you know the European Cup Winners Cup. He's written a book about it, but he's done it in such a way that it's so um, informative, but also quite humorous. And he was on one of the other shows talking about how when you're growing up, there's three or four tournaments that you remember everything about Kev I mean everything from the football that was used to all the strips all the players blah 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 he says but as you get older and you see more and more tournaments they become less and less memorable less and less Mm -hmm. special he says and he wondered about that you know all through his kind of football supporting life but it just comes in at the fact that you're you know you're taking in so much more when you're younger you're like a sponge taking all this in you watch every single kick of every single game Uh, but you know by this age when was the last time I was excited about a, a finals tournament? I remember cheering on Wales when they were doing so well, you know, um, under Chris Coleman. But, I, I, you know, it's bec- simply because Scotland haven't been in it. I've got to be honest with you. And I do lose a wee bit of interest. Um, I've always had a, a liking for uh, Croatia because they just basically some of the players that have played over the years as well. But I think back to that and I think back to it being heady, heady time, 17-year-old, sunny summer's day. Um, one of the other things I checked before coming on was just before that, that game, a couple of weeks before it, the movie Fargo was released. 1996 uh, Coen Brothers one of my favourite films of all time I've only just in the last few weeks got around to watching the TV series so I'm engulfed in that now but you know is there as much excitement one thing one point I would make when I was looking at that Scotland v England game in the, in the lineups, you never mentioned Terry Venables right no. um, now obviously they got in a bit of bother with the drinking culture and all that Kev but what they did have is they reckon they had almost like a club culture at international level. Now, that obviously can lead to incidents like the dentist chair and all that. But I was looking at that today, that Scotland squad, and, and Steve Clark, who was getting interviewed today on the eve of the, the friendly game tomorrow night. And I was thinking to myself, they seem to have that bond, almost like a club, where, you know, I don't know if it's just the right mix of experience with the young, hungry guys coming through, Kev, but they do seem to have that bond. And that's something that a Scotland team's not had in a long, long time. It's been pretty fractured, you know what I mean? We've gone through a lot of players, a lot of managers. Uh, but now I think we've finally found a blend where it's almost as if we've got the club side mentality and camaraderie amongst the squad. And I I just think Steve Clark's worked absolute wonders with that. And I'm delighted that, you know, when you look back at uh, some of the previous managers refusing to play specific players and famously Strachan refusing to play Griffiths when he was at the top of his game, you know, scoring 40 goals in a season, he eventually did. He relented and he started playing them. Um, and when it came up to the, announcing the squad, I thought to myself, is Clark going to pick the, the likes of Gilman? Is he going to pick the likes of David Turnbull? And I'm delighted that he did. You know, because tournaments like that could be the making of these players. I think Clark's got 
the knack he had respect just because of his backstory, like Chelsea, Liverpool, what he done at Kilmarnock, and if these lads want to go to international duty, and I think there's a core of them that really do want that really do want to play for their country. Guys like KT, Andy Robertson, John McGinn want to turn up and play for their country, and I think Clark obviously getting to a tournament helps greatly. Utterly greatly, and uh, that helps. But I think Clark was always the right man for the Scotland job. When the Scotland job came up, I said it should be Steve Clark's. He should be the top candidate. And would you take him at Celtic? Look, somebody, somebody, one of my WhatsApp group says, "You can what's going to heart of me." He says, "Big Angie is not going to get a is not going to get a a work permit." And we're just going to wait till after the Euros and appoint Steve Clark as a happy medium. And I think at this precise moment in time, we've been that weighed down by everything. I would take Steve Clark, I I would take Steve Clark. It wouldn't be my first choice, but I would take Steve Clark and I would be confident of Steve Clark coming in and turning that ship around. I would be. Well, it's an interesting, it's an interesting one. He spoke fairly recently, didn't he, about... The, the time where he was offered, well, he wasn't offered, he was interviewed for the job and he was second choice. Uh, he came second, he didn't get it. Um, you know, I'm looking at it and I just think that people going about boring or a brandy football, Kev, what we need right now is stabilised. That's what Celtic require right now. We need stabilised. I feel we had a brilliant, I thought it was a great discussion earlier on on the Axon Bulletin uh, because Jared Hill came on and he's watched the development uh, of Ange, not Angie. He says not Angie, uh, Ange, and and he reckons that he would do well. He also says he's he's not his first choice. I've got real concerns about the timing of this. I don't think that is the type of appointment we need right now. Steve Clark wouldn't be my first choice either, but I think he would be a stabilising influence, and that's what we need right now. We, we cannot wait. You know, until uh, a new manager integrates himself and acclimatises, which apparently this chap does, takes him about 12 months. We don't have 12 months. We've got about 50 days. We might actually need 12 months, Paul, and that's what a lot of the support might need to actually get on board with. And, I mean, as you say, I mean, he's somebody to steady the ship. We're basically going doing a hull day and a wheelie with only one wheel. But this precise moment in time, it looks like we didn't ken how it's going to end. We, we, we actually look like we do not have a clue what we're now doing, eh? And that is a worrying thing. But it's, I mean, we were all we were all here last week, and I says it was going to be how, and everybody thought it was going to be how, and that came back to bite us quite big style. And I think a lot of the toxicity that we've seen over the last couple of days in the Celtic world is down to the club being an utter rudderless ship. Talking of which, you want to know what Mark Hughes was up to in 1996 in June? Let me know what Mark Hughes was up to in 1996 in June. Mark Hughes was playing for the fourth club that he played with who have won the European Cup. Munich, Bayern Munich. Chelsea. Chelsea? Oh, aye. He was at Chelsea, aye. I forgot he had went to Chelsea, aye. He was there for a couple of years, so aye, that's where Sparky was, just in case you were wondering. I wondered where he was. I mean, you mentioned Chris Coleman, eh? And I thought you were going to chuck in. Uh, I, I thought you were going to chuck in Sparky at that point, eh? Because we like talking about Sparky, don't we? Another like guy that got a testimonial against Celtic. He did that, and we've mentioned Sheer Sparky and Manic Street Pictures was talked about Australia. There we go. Right, I think we'll call it a night there, Paulie. 
So thanks you're the boss, watching. mate. You're the boss. Thanks for watching, everybody. Uh, go and check out the Primal Scream with Irvin Welsh. If nothing, it's a laugh, but it's it quite a decent tune. And everybody, just calm down and be nice to each other. Eh? See you all later. gives you access to all every audience live conversations trusted influencers and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company go to iheartresults.com for more sports social podcast network sports social podcast network sports social podcast network sports social podcast network Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.